0: And I have that same mentality is in order to scale, I almost have to have the snowball effect in which you start small and it gradually increases. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills? Or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? I am Sarah Larby. I'm excited to have you guys again back for another awesome episode. Today's guest is Jaime Sanchez, who is a real estate entrepreneur. He's done over $1 billion in real estate development throughout LA, California, in the past 10 years alone. So we're going to talk about... All of that great stuff regarding land development and projects. So hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast. And before we get to the podcast, the only thing I would say is if you do enjoy the podcast, if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use to listen to it, that would be amazing. And also check out therightclub.com. We are now online with forums. We're going to have a ton of great information. You can communicate with investors, find your team of experts. So check out therightclub.com as well, because now even if we're remote, even if we're virtual, we can connect and keep networking when it comes to real estate investing, and we can keep learning. In addition to this podcast, there's tons of stuff stuff at your fingertips. So hopefully you guys enjoy that as well, and see you guys At the next week's show, I have a really exciting announcement, and I hope you enjoy it. I won't tell you what it is yet, but I've had a special guest that's helped me throughout my whole career and an announcement as well. So, But this week, Jaime is awesome, and I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Jaime, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Pretty good. How are you? Thanks for having me.
1: I'm uh, I'm excited to have you on, and uh, now you are uh, all the way uh, from la that's where you're calling so a few hours behind and for the listeners where how did you get started in real estate investing and what are you currently doing
0: uh yeah for me i, I started you know maybe about five six years ago i you know been working in the professional world just like many people who get started in real estate as they kind of work their regular jobs you know nine to five you know personally i, I graduated from college you know First thing I thought was, you know, go go to the workforce, try to make some money, and you know what you end up realizing over the years is that you know even with bonuses or kind of uh, you know pats on the back or whatever it may be you know there's a limitation in terms of what which you ultimately grow in terms of your financial dependence because it's it's designed in a way in which it's it's meant to cap you right it, it benefits the employer more so than the employee and so I. I first started off with the savings I had and, and figured I'd, I'd buy a, a duplex, right? So that's kind of a very easy way into to get into real estate instead of buying a single family home, buy something that's income generating where you can also live in one of the units. And uh, that was my first in investment deal about five, five, six years ago. And, and since then, I've uh, been able to multiply that from uh, a real estate portfolio here in Los Angeles uh, in Texas. And then ultimately, uh, through my experience, provide a lot of, uh, consulting advisory services in the uh, real estate development and investing world.
1: Amazing. So I do want to talk all about that, but that was five years ago. I will say congratulations for growing so quickly.
0: How
1: how did you do it? Was it through other people's money, joint ventures, or did you find a a way in a system to do it on your own?
0: No, it, I think in, in real estate, it's a team sport. If you want to kind of grow and scale small multifamily or just go, do single family type projects, I, I could see how maybe doing it by yourself uh, is doable just because on a scale basis, it's, it doesn't require as, as many people or as, many, as much resources in order to make a project happen. But uh, for me, what I've discovered is when, when you, kind of take that route uh, you limit yourself in, in the amount you're allowed to scale over time and so uh, by pursuing larger and bigger projects that require almost the amount of uh, amount of effort and work you might as well go for, land a big projects and uh, collaborate with others who have similar or complementary skill sets to you and so that's kind of how I decided that you know inviting other people who were like-minded, were looking to grow their real estate portfolio as well. Uh, I connected with others who were interested in the real estate investing space and, and multifamily out of state or were uh, interested in real estate development, doing ground up construction. And so uh, my skill set then allowed to kind of complement their skill set as well and, and build these partnerships, which allowed me to scale um, my my real estate practice from you know, those two units back five and six years ago. Uh, to now building, you know, 60 unit apartment uh, building here in LA and, or dealing with investing out of state. Uh, You know, me and my, one of my business partners were investing about 1200 units and we're looking to now sponsor additional apartment projects uh, in, in the Texas region. So it's all about building those partnerships over time. And and, and adding a lot of value.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great thing. I mean, obviously building your team and, uh, and figuring out who complements you and sometimes just having a different skill than your partner is also helpful. So what do you bring to the table? You know what, so when you did your, your, you know, first few deals, like, are you the one that goes and finds financing? Are you the one that goes to different city or towns sure. or you know, how to like, walk me through what you do and what you bring to the table.
0: Yeah. And so, and so, you know, it actually leads back to my professional career. So I've always been in real estate, was always in real estate my entire career. Even after college, I did uh, construction management, so working on big, large scale projects here in Southern California. And so my skill set have always been project management, finance, had been accounting, kind of more the, the hard skills, so to speak, right? When it comes to any any business. And so my skill set whenever I look at a new project is how do we then look to get a product finance? How do we underwrite a deal? How do we put together a a polished uh, set of documents that we can present to investors? And so those are kind of the more hard skill sets that I bring to any given project, Um, whereas the partners that I usually team up with have more so kind of the relationships with investors or have relationships with different contractors or they have kind of an ability to market property or project whoever those that want to be involved and so you know for me the marketing is not the biggest skill set that I've uh, been able to grow I'm, I'm learning to now but um, I definitely find partners who have that skills more of the soft skills to be able to complement what I bring to the table.
1: All right. And that's interesting. And do you mind sharing like how you guys break down the partnership? Like, are you 50-50? How many partners there are? And, uh, and how do you split the shares and all that good stuff?
0: Yeah, sure. So, so far, you know, I have two companies. One is a development company and that one's uh, 50-50. And so for that one, you know, very similar kind of what I explained was the, when it comes to the operations of the business and kind of managing a project, that's kind of my expertise. And then the other partner has more capital structuring, dealing with investors, kind of dealing with also some of the legal stuff as well. He, he's actually a previous attorney. So, you know, combined, I think we complement each other's skill set when it comes to any, any provide project. So that's a 50 50 partnership. Uh, and the other one I have is a multifamily investing platform, and that's also a 50 50 partnership. And very similar kind of setup, you know, because I bring a lot of the underwriting, the financing, the ability to kind of put together a deal. The other partner is more so the the relationships with investors, relationships with brokers, relationships with uh, various different vendors, and and the marketing aspect when it comes to new properties. So, very similar kind of setup, but in the end, you know, I think because everybody kind of brings something to the table that's very valuable, you know, it, it makes the um, the the split in terms of that partnership. Pretty pretty simple to set up. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
1: Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing. The world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. property investors themselves. So they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition. And also, help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us they've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good but also for the bad because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us and they're going to help navigate three key parts Financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. All right. So for those people listening and uh, and they're buying their first or second property, You know, it seems like it's like 10 levels ahead, right? But if you can, you know, give somebody some advice, because there's still some people listening to this that may want to get into development, actually myself included. What are some things, as you you were transferring from your small, single duplexes, small multifamily into something big, you know, what are some key tips that you can provide the listeners and myself included?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think a lot of people limit themselves thinking that, you know, And I have that same mentality is in order to scale, I almost have to have the snowball effect in which you start small and it gradually increases as you get more experience, as you be able to get more opportunities. But that's actually not, not true. I, I think what, what it is, is if you find other people, mentors, or other people that have, are doing bigger scale projects, if you tag along with those people and kind of ask questions and, and try to get that mentorship You're able to actually scale a lot faster if you were doing it on your own or have this this thought process that if I start with a single family, maybe then I go duplex and triplex and you kind of almost think that you got to build that way up. You know, when you do uh, small deals and large deals, you know, a, a lot of the work and effort is about the same, I would say. I'd say the bigger projects, because you're relying more on the team, it makes it easier to manage versus... For example, if you're doing a flip, because I've done a flip before, it's it's a lot of work. It's, it's kind of you're you're all, you're the boots on the ground. You're the managed, person managing. You're kind of handling all the accounting, kind of figuring out what stuff going on with the contractors. When you're dealing with larger projects, you know those responsibilities are split amongst the different partners you're going to work with. And so, I'd say it's more so you know being involved in your local market, going to meetups, going to networking events, because that's what I do on a, on a weekly basis, to meet other people who are driven to do larger projects. And now it's just combining everyone's expertise and skill set to go for it. And so I'd say that's kind of the limiting belief that people need to remove to be able to do bigger and bigger projects.
1: All right. Awesome. Great tips. What are the size of some of these projects? Like how many millions of dollars are they?
0: So the latest one that I, I just got last week, actually, is a 60-unit uh, apartment building by uh, USC. So a lot of people know that, you know, institution here in Southern California, pretty well known. And it's a student housing project. Again, I wouldn't be able to do this project out of my own had I built a lot of these relationships over the years. And so it does take time to kind of earn people's trust and credibility to show them that you have an expertise and skill set that, that is meaningful for them. And so I'd been talking to these investors for years, and they've been wanting to do a larger project for, for, for quite some time. And it wasn't until we ran into each other several times, it was like, oh, what are you doing? Well, I do real estate development. I've been working on these projects. And we're like, well, we're looking to do the same thing. And so it just kind of naturally and organically came came to fruition that why don't we just team up and do this project? I have the development experience. You have the the capital to be able to uh, you know purchase these what are four single family homes and essentially turn them into one larger apartment building. And so that's kind of one one of the projects I'm working on. That one's gonna be maybe uh, roughly about thirty-five million dollars in terms of total cost, buying the land, going through the design and then construction eventually.
1: All right, so these are not uh, these are not cheap properties at all. What's your exit no. what's your exit strategy on them?
0: Uh, so on that one, they actually plan to hold it long term, and so the idea would be to finish the project. You know, it's going to take about two and a half years to build, and design, get it leased up. It should lease up pretty quickly if we lease it at the right time, right before the school year starts, and then within a year, uh, do a uh, permanent refinance, kind of your conventional, you know, big banks that would refinance a, a product like that, and then uh, hold on to it long term, and so that's kind of where the big payout is when you have a big capital venture, So in this case, it would be a, a big refinance.
1: All right. So you're going to make the equity on the refinance. And now are you going to cash flow at all as well?
0: Uh, so now when it comes to development, you, you know, that's the biggest risk about development is that you get no cash flow until you deliver a product and it actually leases or starts generating revenue. So I'd say, for a lot of people who are looking to do development, it is a lot in the risk profile. Right, somewhere I think right. There's cash flow properties, and then there's development. This is definitely on the risk you're in because a lot, a lot of your money is at risk at the beginning to try to get a project through. And so, uh, no cash flows for the next twenty-four months. Yeah, all, so, all that so, risk at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I know there's <laughs> definitely no cash flow in the beginning, but. But when you're planning your exit, your your next strategy, right, is the refinance and you're going to rent out the rooms. Do you, right. ahead of time, plan on what that's going to look like on the financials?
0: Uh, yeah. I, essentially, you, you kind of put together a financial performa, which any lender is going to require And So, uh, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be this elaborate thing, but basically an Excel document that you can then, you know, forecast forecast the cash flows based on, uh, kind of what the market is requiring how many people plan to lease up that's uh, that year and luckily the investment partners that we're team up with are uh, they do student housing only so they know this market extremely well to be able to put together those projections so that it just depends on on being able to kind of hit those projections early on the thing about development it's there's a ramp up period you don't actually uh, the whole building doesn't get leased up in, you know, in a couple months, you know, it takes, it takes months, uh, even as, as far as a year, 18 months for you to fully stabilize before uh, you, you're in a position where you can do uh, uh, some kind of big capital event.
1: That's awesome. Now you don't have to share it for this deal, but usually is it like, are you paying a portion like interest on the money or is it like a split percentage with like your partners that would fork out the money in general?
0: Yeah, in general, it, it depends who's you know what what people bring to the table because the partners that were teamed up here, you know, they're the ones buying the land. They're the ones who have a big investor partner that would actually uh, invest the majority of the deal. You know, they would get the majority of the of the uh, of the uplift once once we do sell the project or refinance or whatever. But because you know me as kind of coming in from more of an expertise level, I get a, a kicker in terms of that e- big equity e- uh, uptick and and the development fees that go along um, moving the project forward over the next uh, two years. So that that's the one thing that uh, development's good about is that you, depending on the type of project, you can get those development fees, which you know sometimes would be pretty substantial, which is usually between three to five percent of the total cost of the project. So Um, you know, you're definitely talking, you know, multi-million dollar project, you know, the development fees on its own, you know, make for a good payday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's higher risks and definitely higher rewards as well. So you got, you got to weigh out the pros and cons and,
0: you
1: know, and then there's also the risk of, of time. What, uh, so are you usually like, what's your, your, your strategy when you're finding, is it raw land? Is it Property that's, you know, that you're going to tear down or change the use of it? Like, what do you like to find or look for when you're saying this is a good, you know, a good piece of land or a good piece of property? Is it property or land?
0: Right, right, right. I'd say, I mean, here in Southern California, finding raw land is pretty hard to come by. Uh, Usually, you got to basically the way, you know, most developers operate and think from a very planning phase is, you know, looking at opportunities where. Certain properties are zoned uh, a, a specific way, but they're not used for that way. So we always call it best and max use, right? So what's the best and max use of this specific zoning or area? And so when people think about transit or there's a lot of uh, development along big corridors and specific streets, that's where you start seeing a big influx of development because zoning usually allows, allows for some changes in those areas. That then allows these, in this case, these four single-family homes, or are, are not best-in-max use, in which you can develop something a lot larger there. And so that's where you kind of see the the opportunity is finding properties that are not uh, zoned or are being used for their maximal potential.
1: Yeah, no, it is it is quite interesting for sure. So, what's the next step for you? Like, where where do you want to go next?
0: Yeah. So essentially now I'm, you know, now that I have kind of started this development practice and, and now I'm becoming more known, especially within this kind of apartment building sector here in Southern California to continue pursuing these type of projects, possibly even larger scale projects, just because I've been involved in, in construction and real estate development, all my career, again, kind of that limiting mindset is, you know, do I have, am I limited by, by, by 60 units? No, I could probably do bigger, bigger type projects if, if I partner up with the right team. And so, so happen to be that these partners are, are great to work with on this project, but who knows over the next couple months, being able to uh, continue cultivating relationships on, on larger type deals.
1: Awesome. That's great. Now, do you ever, like if you're building a, you know, multi-unit, do you ever take a unit for yourself to rent out, or does it still always stay, stay in the in the yeah. overall thing? Yeah,
0: no, it, it all depends on who you're working with as your partners. But uh, you know, if you take a unit, you know that's lost revenues. So usually that that doesn't doesn't make for a good conversation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um. Yeah. So. Like, you know, I was reading also like on, on your bio, mixed use is quite interesting. So what is mixed use for those wondering what that's all about?
0: Yeah. So whenever someone says mixed use, it's, it's being able to take different product types into one building or project, right? So, and, and most people can relate to it. And when you think of an apartment building, the way most uh, developers are designing them now is you have like ground floor retail that provides an amenity for the residents of that building and the surrounding neighborhood. And so the fact that you're using ground floor retail, maybe some paid parking for other residents, and then you have your apartment units on top of that, that's what you would consider mixed use, because you're, you're combining different uses all into one property. Had it been just one, a straight apartment building, you would just call that multifamily, but because it has this mixture component, it's called a, a mixed use project
1: yeah absolutely it is it is quite interesting because at least you're you're in a way a little bit you're diversifying right
0: (laughs) right exactly exactly although retail can be a little scary depending on your retail tenants are going to be just because retail is a lot harder to um, find uh, the right tenant base for uh for your for not only your building but for the surrounding area
1: yeah you know that is a good point because if you have like I mean, in Ontario, like weed is now legal um, and I don't smoke, but mm-hmm. it's now legal. And, you know, you could kind of not ruin the area. I shouldn't say that, but it's not yeah. as nice if you have certain stores like a weed. Right. by I mean, I think <laughs> California thing, it's legal there too. But, you know, so right. you might be pretty, you know, picky. And also my thoughts are like, you know, the whole online you know Amazon and everyone buying stuff online is the the retail store going to survive, right? or exactly. What's exactly. Is it, and do you like medical units? like what like what's your ideal mix?
0: Yeah, so I'd say with when it comes to retail, it has to be, you know you're almost wanting to get something that's kind of boutique in a in a way that provides a unique element to retail, you know, kind of a more big box or kind of more, the franchise type retail tenants aren't going to drive, you know, the types of your your tenant mix that you want. And so it's almost looking for those, you know, new starter ideas that are, are springing up, you know, all around, you know, kind of North America, you know, whether it's a specific theme on a coffee shop or some kind of innovative vegan, whatever, you know, type restaurant or whatever it is. It's it's, it's finding these unique tenant profiles that that make for a, a, a better retail tenant
1: yeah it is uh it is quite interesting i don't know enough about this yet like it is something i'm i'm actively researching because i like the mixed use piece like you said right with the parking and then the store front but maybe like medical right. ten- like dental places or chiropractors or something like that and then on the top having something residential so I'm actively looking at it so part of these questions I'm being selfish and asking some of the things I want to learn of course of course thanks for sharing awesome next part of the podcast is our lightning round so I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and you're going to ask answer the first thing that comes to mind ready
0: of course sounds good
1: all right everybody gets these same questions so number one what is your favorite real estate investing book ever
0: uh, the favorite one, it's actually the one I'm reading right now. It's uh, Best Ever in Real Estate. by I, I forget the name of the author, but uh, it's its called Best Ever in Multifamily.
1: Okay, awesome. Number two, what is your favorite podcast?
0: Uh, favorite podcast uh, right now, I listen to a lot of kind of mindset podcasts. So Right now, I'm listening a lot to um, Rob Dial's uh, podcast, which is, uh, I think it's called the Mindset Mentor. That's what he calls it now.
1: All right, very nice I haven't heard of that one but I'll have to take a listen for sure question uh, number three what is your favorite pastime what do you do for fun when it's not real estate investing
0: for me it's traveling you know that's the one unique thing about real estate is it allows you to set up systems and kind of uh, you know put things on autopilot when you need to relying on on your team and so for me I love to travel all around the world and actually I have a big trip planned in the next couple of days I I'll leave for Europe for about a week and a half for a bachelor party and another opportunity to visit friends. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
1: I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors on this week's episode. I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel, from White Elm Design Build. And Robin Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on oakville to hamilton and beyond but they're really great like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to facetime or video call rob or joel they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the reno part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's gonna cost and what renos are gonna be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly, They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget, which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher-end flip types of projects, too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at WhiteElmDesignBuild.com. That is WhiteElmDesignBuild.com. Or you can send them an email, Joel. J O E L at whiteelmdesignbuild.com um, or Rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Um, Good luck on your next projects. Now back to the show. Awesome. Where in Europe? Just curious.
0: So start off in London, then go to Dublin and Amsterdam, then Madrid, then Sevilla. So
1: wow okay so it's not just like one country you're just uh it really is europe (laughs) part of it yeah
0: yeah, exactly exactly exactly
1: awesome question number four if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow how would you start again
0: well the good thing about you know having possessions versus having knowledge is the fact is i have knowledge and experience right so starting from scratch is going to be a lot easier than than it was you know call it 10 years ago when you're learning as you were going. And so because now you have that education, that knowledge base, you know, relationships, I think it'd be easy to just go, you know, get, get started right away. All you need is one one deal to kind of kick things off. So having that knowledge and, and those relationships will, will definitely make that easier.
1: Absolutely. Knowledge and relationships. Question number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it?
0: so it depends how active they want to be on any given opportunity right if they're looking to be extremely active kind of learn the process along the way you know i would have them possibly team up with uh somebody who's uh, has a similar interest whether it's a single family or maybe buying a uh, multifamily type you know project if if they can kind of corral and find those types of people then i would say that, that money will be well worth it and, and really allow them to grow if they're looking more to become be on the passive side and and you know they think that real estate is just a great vehicle maybe it's just finding those types of operators that have larger scale projects that are always looking to syndicate deals which basically means they're always looking for passive investors to invest in their real estate deals knowing that they have you know, provide stronger returns that they would get otherwise, you know, whether it's stocks or anything else. And so it just depends whether they want to have an active or passive role. And so there's there's opportunity in both areas.
1: Okay, awesome. Jaime, where can listeners find out more about you and reach out?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, you could find me on any social media platform, mainly on Instagram at uh, Jaime O. Sanchez. That's kind of where you'll be seeing a lot of me over the next 12 months.
1: Awesome. And can you spell your name?
0: Yeah, it's uh, J-A-I-M-E and then O and then last name Sanchez, S-A-N-C-H-E-Z.
1: Awesome. Any final last words of advice?
0: I'd say, you know, kind of what I've been alluding to, you know, over the last call it 20 minutes or so is, you know, I feel like a lot of people have this limiting belief that starting small is the way to kind of get started in real estate. In some ways it is to kind of just get your, get, your, get your feet wet, but you don't have to limit yourself to, you know, work on small projects or, or feel like you have to have the snowball effect. Just network with people who are like-minded in different meetup groups, different events, start building that relationship pool, find mentors, and that's what's going to allow you to start, uh, you know, scaling, uh, you know, your real estate business.
1: Awesome. On that note, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, sharing your insights. And I'm a little jealous of your weather right now in, uh, in California yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> a
0: little bit, a little bit. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio I know for me before i started i had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid but as i started my journey these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained what was actually stopping me was having a proven actionable repeatable system i didn't have that